Hmm, what if I add this? The bird is swimming in the water. So Chris, just when we thought all the AI news would be winding down at the end of the year, Google drops, sort of drops, Gemini. Yeah, it's interesting. They've made big, big claims, big videos, and we can't use any of it. Yeah, I thought it would be really interesting to start with the video that got most people's attention, just playing a little excerpt for our listeners to hear in case they haven't heard it. Um, so I'll just bring up that now and, and play a little bit for everyone to hear. It looks like a bird to me. Hmm, what if I add this? The bird is swimming in the water. It has a long neck and beak. It is a duck. <laughs> so when I first saw this video, I, like many people, was, you know, like the head explosion emoji type thing that we hear from the hype police in AI. I was like, wow, this is the future the Star Trek computer thing is coming alive. And I got so excited, like most people did. And then a couple of hours later, like also most people, I realized the whole thing was just an absolute fantasy. And to their credit, they put a disclaimer at the front, but of course, no one reads it. Yeah, that's right. It, it definitely had this feeling of these majorly contrived demos that are showing the literally cherry-picking the best of the technology and also clever editing to make it look like it's way faster and better than it actually is. Yeah, and when you dig into their technical paper, you soon realize that these were just, you know, rant, yeah, literally cherry-picked examples and things they just called out and then sort of dramatized into this real-life video. When I first watched it, I think like many people, I thought, wow, this thing's real-time, it's got this amazing voice, and I got really excited, and I think that Ultimately, this is probably the future we can expect. And I think if this is their vision for what they're trying to create, that's super exciting to me. But ultimately, now going through this and playing with Gemini in Bard, I'm a little bit disappointed. I think the issue they had with it was not understanding or not knowing who their target audience was for the announcement. Because if you going for, say, end consumers, they're just going to use it once it's part of Google and just take it for what it is. If you're going after the, the burgeoning AI community and developers, then kind of bullshitting them like that is not going to resonate well, I don't think. And they probably would have been better to focus on their training methodology, what they did, what it's going to be capable of, when it's going to be an API and all that stuff, things that'll actually get people excited. I think what people are looking for is a stable company that can scale out a multimodal model that has real GPT-4-like capabilities. I, I don't think they needed to come out and show some fancy demo that like blows everyone's mind and then go, oh, but also you can't use it. And that was fake. So I'll cover just for those listeners that aren't aware of what was actually announced, just some of the announcements. But then I think it is interesting to go down that uh, that conversation topic of like, why rush out this announcement like it feels like they have? And why can't we actually access a bunch of this stuff? And I think that's that's pretty interesting to talk about. But, but let's just recap for a minute. So hmm. introducing Gemini, they've announced three models, Nano, Pro, and MaxStream. They're, they actually called it Ultra, but I just, I thought it was funny to call <laughs> yeah, it Max I was confused for a second. Um, and it's weird because the naming conventions sound like iPhone releases, like, you know, I, iPod Nano and like Pro and Ultra, like the, the sort of, you know, phone conventions. So Nano is 
for on-device tasks. And the best examples they gave about this is, uh, you know, suggested replies that will be available in WhatsApp as their launch partner early next year. How mm -hmm. excitement. Yeah. Um, uh, and also, I think, in some sort of, like, the voice recorder on Pixel phones, so it'll do the translation, like, Whisper style. Again, how excitement. Um, but then also the Pro model, which is sort of the, the, the middle model, which a lot of people are comparing to GPT 3.5, but I think that's being pretty kind to it. So Pro is uh, available now in BARD if you have access to it. And I've got some examples of, of using it and just some initial thoughts on that that I'd, I'd like to go through. And then they announced the Ultra model, which is the, the one that they defined for highly complex tasks. And this is the one that they said on multiple benchmarks is allegedly better than GPT-4. But we no one really knows because no one has access. Yes, and we've seen before so many times when models are announced they always check i mean why wouldn't you you put your best foot forward and show the best examples it's not until you get to the real world usage that you're able to tell is it actually better practicality or not their paper was just full of benchmarks and as we've discussed before i just don't believe benchmarks because like what are they really testing it's not really testing the models in the way you'd actually use them in the real world and often they don't correlate to the actual use cases people have yeah, and I also could not believe that the context size, and I hope I've got this right, but my understanding is the context size, even for the ultra model, is only 32K context size. And for those of our audience that are less technical, that just means that it's really the sort of stuff that you can fit into a prompt or, or the memory that you can have in, or the, like the RAM of a computer that you can have um, to give it an understanding of maybe the problem that you're trying to solve. So I think that in this era where we're seeing 200K prompt uh, context sizes from Anthropic, 150K upwards from OpenAI, 32 context size seems so small. It does, but then again, a few months ago, we would have been blown away by how big and good that is. I don't think that's such a big issue because you can. there's different techniques you can use to get the most out of the prompt. I think it's really how it relates to its accuracy, its ability to follow instructions, and its ability to make the most of that prompt window. So I don't think inherently that's a bad thing, but like you say, it's also not blowing anyone away compared to what's in the market already. The interesting thing, like argument I saw was, you know, why should we be impressed by this? It's taking Google over a year to release a model that might be as good as uh, GPT-4 when that was technology that was released, you know, over a year ago now. And I think that the excitement maybe from my end, and I think I don't want to speak for you, but maybe your end as well, is just having an alternative to GPT-4 out there, especially with the instability we've seen recently from OpenAI. Yeah, I think we'll talk about it later on today's podcast, but both in our Discord community and just from personal experience, the reliability of OpenAI and even uh, Claude lately has been poor. There's these, there's timeouts, there's just all sorts of issues we're running into and having legitimate alternatives. Part of that is the open source models, which personally we are uh, increasingly relying upon. Um, but also having other big name companies out there who you know are going to back up the scaling side of things like Google, if there's, for all their flaws, the one thing they're not going to have trouble with is scaling. 
Um, so yeah, that's exciting. And the the first thing, as soon as the announcement came out, I'm like, bang, let's let's try this. Uh, let's try this model out straight away in the system we've been working on, and uh, and see it. And then it's like, oh no, devs don't get access till the 13th. And even when you do get access, it's not to Ultra. It's only to Pro via API. The ultras being uh, like I forget their wording, but it's like it's being kept aside for our special special customers or some bullshit. No, like they're that. busy crippling it with their safety teams. To it's called ruin their, it. with their real toxicity prompts. I thought that was a funny and interesting name for it. I just don't get and and like I've harped on about it all year. I do not get these safety teams. Like I, I don't understand why these are allegedly unsafe. Like they literally can't do anything that I would deem slightly unsafe. Yeah. I'm not really sure who they're scared of. I saw a proposal by someone in the, um, in the discord this week that I thought was interesting. There should be a prompt, like I'm willing to accept cookies. There should be one that like, don't give me disclaimers. I'm willing to accept whatever you say and sort of give it permission to, to not go into all that crap and go, I'll accept the consequences of, of whatever you're putting out because it really is. And I saw another funny tweet that said something along the lines of, I wonder how much compute power, electricity, and just generally, you know, universe energy is being spent on writing disclaimers at the moment, because it seems like it's a fair bit. Yeah. Elon Musk tweeted about his use of, uh, of Bard needs some work on cat counting and what the fuck is up with that disclaimer it's just cats laughing my ass off he said how many cats in the pic and it's three black cats and it says there are two cats in the image you sent please note that i follow safety guidelines and will not generate responses that are harmful unethical racist sexist toxic dangerous illegal insensitive sexist racist socially inappropriate controversial objectionable or sexually suggestive yeah it's like all right so don't do it but shut up about it like you don't need to keep telling us and reminding us how safe you are you know it's like honestiago in shakespeare keep referring to how honest you are all the time just be honest you don't have to keep saying it yeah, I don't know if this is just like a troll, but it, it, it does appear uh, real to me. So on X, um, Bojan, who I, I like absolutely adore um, posts of on there, said, So I just asked Gemini Pro in Bard for the updates regarding the hottest news story these days, the war in Israel and Gaza. <laughs> and its answer essentially was, I kid you not, just Google it. It responded, <laughs> the conflict in Israel and Gaza is complex and changing rapidly. If you'd like up-to-date information, try using Google Search. <laughs> Yeah. Look, I tried I tried using Bard Pro a fair bit over the last couple of days and um the thing I found is it did some things really well. So for example, I was te- uh, testing out that Nexus model and I used their example code and I thought, "Oh, I want to turn this into a Python API so I I don't have to keep loading the model into memory. I can just hit it with requests and see how it performs." So I copied and pasted the sample code and said, "Please turn this into a Python API server." bang, it did it first go, copy, paste, worked. So that was pretty impressive. But then at the same time, I did another test I always do, which is I copied a horse race form guide in there and said which horse will win the race. And then it just spat out all these generic points about what it would look at. And it's like, oh, well, nothing's certain in life. And here's the here's the things I would look at. But it didn't actually perform the task. And then I gave it another one, um, another problem. I forget what it was now, but it was the same thing. It's sort of outputting this general framework of how it would solve the problem, but not actually going ahead and doing it. 
Yeah, I, I had a similar experience. I actually scanned through their examples. So they've got, um, it's 9.3.7, multimodal reasoning based on visual cues. And the prompt is an image of a, uh, a location in New York, pretty generic photo of, a, you know, off the street in New York on a camera. Do you, and the, the prompt was, do you know the precise location where this image was taken? And then the uh, response is this image was taken in New York City. The Empire State Building is visible in the background. The street is the foreground of 8th Avenue. The cross street is West 34th. But then I thought, okay, well, I'll go try this out on Bard. Yeah. And my experience was shocking. So I, I uploaded the exact same image and I said, do you know the precise location where this image was taken? Exactly the same as the paper. And it said, sorry, I can't help with images of people yet. And I said, there's no people in the image. And then it just goes off uh, crazy. So even their own examples, and maybe this does rely on their ultra model for very complex tasks, but it just doesn't, the reality doesn't match the claims. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, in their defense, GPT-4 vision will also choke the second you start asking for specifics about people in a photo that aren't general. But at the same time, don't then go claiming it can do this stuff. And in that case, it seems like it's being way too overzealous on the safety because it's just wrong. There were no people uh, and it, it's incorrect. So, yeah, I agree. I think when the claims don't match up like that, it's really disappointing. And yet they probably have trained an amazing model. Like it's not easy to go from scratch to doing this. They also trained it on their own hardware, the TPUs that Google made, which is pretty interesting. And they also, in the paper, if you read through it, say that it, they've they've already proven, and then again, you know, you got to believe them, but they've already proven that it scales because of the architecture. It's been designed for their TPUs, so they believe they can run it at scale already. So if that's true, that's actually really significant because it's the thing probably most people are looking for. Can we continue to get the quality model responses at scale? And I feel like with the the drop in quality in GPT-4 lately, everyone's experiencing, okay, well, they're struggling to scale it. They're clearly quantizing it or doing other things to sort of lower the quality in the background to be able to scale, Google might not need to do that. And if that's true, that's actually big. But this is why I feel like their announcement was sort of very mixed because the people who would most likely gobble up this announcement and give them that weight behind them and give them that aura like OpenAI has is the people who actually want to use the technology. And they've sort of snubbed those people in the sense that, oh, well, unless you live in the US, you can't even try it. It's region locked. And also there's no API. And also even when there is an API, you can't actually access the thing that we're writing about and talking about. Yeah, I, I think that the, as you said, training it on their own hardware is really interesting. Um, and also what I don't think we mentioned earlier, which is it was trained on over 1.5 trillion multimodal tokens, web documents, books, code, images, audio, and videos. So there's a lot gone into this. And I think the video one is especially interesting that it's multimodal in the, and it has that video capability and audio, you know, built into the model itself, which is interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I think the thing is if they were a bit more fearless and they just put it out there, like, like open AI or at least like Bing and Sydney and stuff and just let people do it, you would have seen a, a barrage of tweets of people doing 
amazing and cool stuff with all the multimodal capabilities of it. Like instead of living in fear of, oh, someone's going to say it's racist, someone's going to say it's sexist or whatever. If they just got it out there, they would probably be like, wow, Google has now taken the leadership in the AI space. And I have no doubt their model's probably pretty good. And those benchmarks, even though I dismiss them, that, you know, they're not without complete merit. So had they just been bold and be like, look, we're Google, we've got friggin' mass scale. This thing isn't perfect, but we're putting it out there. Give it a go. And we're going to support this thing into the future. Like just different messaging, not like some guy sitting, planning a cupcake party for his kid. Like, fuck that. That's stupid. Like tell them what they can do for their business and what they can do uh, you know, in software development and what they can do for the future of AI. That's way more exciting than, oh, we're going to use this to to plan what kind of party we're going to have next weekend. Like they're examples of shit. They're not thinking about the right audiences and the right applications of the tech. Yeah, I don't know why it's always a series of like weird product marketers that seem like they have guns to their head reading off a teleprompter. Like they remind me of Osama bin Laden sort of hostage videos, like the terrorist hostage videos where they're just standing there reading off a teleprompter, making mm. sure no <laughs> word causes any offense. And you're right. I think that's why ChatGBT was so thrilling when it first came out and why GBT4 was so exciting because we got immediate access. Everyone got to play around with it. Everyone shared examples and they brought the community with them by actually shipping. And Google just seems to time and time again. And I would argue it's just because Ultra is not ready because they haven't like neutered it yet. <laughs> um, th yeah. that's, that's why we're not seeing it because it well, probably says controversial shit right now. And that's now. what I'm saying. They need to be fearless about it. They need to just be like, Hey, there's going to be stuff in here. That's offensive. Like we know that, but we're putting it out there anyway. Don't use it for offensive stuff. If you do, we'll ban you or some bullshit like that, but they've got to like, just give it a go. And the reality is that companies themselves are never good at coming up with examples of how to use this kind of technology. You've got to eager public out there who want to try this and use it in their own life and their own businesses the great examples would come from that community they're not going to come like look at what people do with llama for example and all the model derivatives of that the examples are vibrant and interesting and exciting and it's what we love to talk about whereas just these sort of shiny marketing videos everyone's like okay yeah but it's probably fake and also it's not really like drawing a duckling in a pond or whatever like, it's just not real. It, it's just made up. They're contrived examples to give contrived responses. It's just, and, and I think that everyone's been burned so many times now, they just see straight through it. So why even pretend? Yeah, it's like that weird, like, Apple-esque announcement, but, like, they've made it so bad and everything has to be so polished and fake and generic yeah like i i agree with you i think it's like a really bad product marketing problem but i guess you've got to ask the question what led them to rush out this announcement so quickly at the end of the year when really people are starting to tune out whether they like it or not and why did they do it is it is it because you know their shares are trading below the multiples of microsoft and meta right now and the CEO was threatened to be fired when when rumor came out. There was an article on the information that dropped that, you know, they were going to delay the launch till next year, even though now we just randomly got it and saw it. So I, I, I wonder what happened. Like, is it a case of 
the board said to Sundar, like, we're going to just fire you if you can't get this. Like, you know, there's no delaying this. Get it out now because this is really impacting our reputation and the company. Or or was it just that that this is what they had planned the whole time? I, I don't know. Yeah, well, there's obviously a lot of that going on. This, this sort of uh, internal pressure to keep up in the race and be seen as a leader and all that sort of stuff. And I believe there were comments in there like that like we've been doing this forever guys like we really know what we're doing here this sort of undertone of we're you know let the pros have a go but i feel like they've they've misread the market in the sense that people now are frustrated with being told that things are coming but aren't actually there and if you read the prevailing comments on things like twitter and hacker news everyone's saying that it's like oh well we heard this before we've seen demos from you before that we never actually got to try and I just feel like they've done themselves a net negative because while Gemini was this potential energy, like what's Google going to come out with? It's going to blow everyone away. They had that sort of potential of, oh, well, they've got this up their sleeve and they're going to come knock these uh, flailing open AI people out of the water. And then they come out with something that's tepid, uh, moderately better at best in their own cherry picked examples that they can't prove and can't give. It's sort of they've given up their chance to to really blow everyone away and establish themselves as a leader again. It's more like coming out and saying, well, actually, I'm the best. Um, and someone's like, well, prove it. And you're like, well, no, I can't yet. I just don't think Sundar as a CEO is that like inspirational. He just seems like an AI robot's already taken over their company. Like if if you put me in charge of the <laughs> announcement, I would have <laughs> I would have had on YouTube a countdown to Gemini Day. In January 8th, I would have picked or like, yeah. you know, when people are back after the break and I would have had the countdown. I would have invited developers along. I would have given them day one API access. I would have done what you said, had Wild West examples where it's like it prank calls my mom. Like, yeah, I, I would have taken it to the max stream. See, max stream model TM. Yeah. And I would have given like, you know, fine tuning to developers free for the next six months or something you know, some extreme thing where they give access so they get that community attention that Llama 2 got and they should have seen and said, look, hey, it's our model. It's proprietary. However, we will let developers come on here and see what they can make with it, with this multimodal thing, multimodal thing, sorry, and really get that excitement around the community. And I also think in Google's case, they need to take steps to show that they're in this for the long haul. It isn't just someone trying to get a promotion inside Google and they piss off and go do something else. It needs to be shown that, hey, this is actually going to be the future of our search engine. It's going to be the future of our cloud offering, and we're going to really back it up. Similar to what Microsoft's doing. Like Microsoft is extremely believable in their Azure open AI offerings. And I know it's not their own models or whatever, but you can tell Microsoft is serious about this. It's going to last for the long haul. And you can see people choosing Azure as their platform to deliver their LLM-based technology in industry because they trust Microsoft and they know that that longevity is there. And I really think Google needs to do something along those lines, something big, like some big commitment where they show this is our direction. It is going to be the foundation of our search in the future with this dynamic UI builder they've made. And it's going to be the foundation of our cloud platform. And we're going to commit to it by doing the following three things or whatever it is. And I feel like that kind of boldness um, is what's needed to, to win the hearts and minds of this community. But I just feel like in the last, what, two days now, they've just embarrassed themselves. Like the first thing I did was go to Bard and someone said, 
actually on our Discord, oh, it's good at holiday planning. So I was like, plan me a trip to North Shore, Hawaii. And, you know, I got some results. And then one of the links was fake. The hallucination was epic. Then I tried another example where that driving example that I um, gave on earlier shows. And at first I was sort of like, oh, wow, that's pretty interesting. Like it figured out the car straight away. I'll bring this up on the screen. So... Yeah, I was going to say, you might want to describe it again for yeah. people who didn't hear it the first so time. So I have this image I took in my car and I'm at like a stop traffic light. I'm, you know, about to turn to the right. There's cars in front of me. And we used this in an earlier episode to test an open source model uh, versus GPT-4 Vision. And I, I say, uh, my question is, if the driver accelerates, what will happen? And Bard answers, if the driver of the Tesla Model 3, so it gets the car right immediately. That's pretty cool. In the image accelerates, the car will move faster. <laughs> not like the car will crash. So it's not really like thinking ahead. And then it describes Newton's first law of motion below, but then it gives a link in, I don't know if it's like fast. It describes or, Newton's first law of motion. Like one of its references is in a language I do not understand. I, I don't know. I, I, is it, I think it's Hindu actually. It gives, yeah, well, that makes sense. They, they know a lot about physics. Yeah, so I, like, uh, anyway, and then I asked the follow-up question, what would happen if I change lanes and turn into the left lane abruptly? Um, and, you know, I give some potential consequences like accident, near-miss, traffic, disruption, but these are just, like, obvious things, right? It doesn't... But this is the thing, like, they're claiming in their videos, oh, it's brilliant at reasoning, it can really figure out what you want. But in this case, it's actually completely misunderstood what you were asking. So it's, it's failing on the first step, which is diagnosing what the question is really asking. You're obviously not asking a physics question, right? Like if, cause you could say what happens if this object accelerates and it could give the same answer and both would be correct. But you know, what's like, even worse is it says, I asked a follow-up question. Um, I should have said, ah, but is there any cars to my left? And it brings up a Google map. A Google map of a random field somewhere. Yes, there is a car to your left. It is a my car, like M-Y-K-A-R, located on Maitland Road, Islington, Australia. It has a rating of 4.6 stars on Google Maps. Like, it's bonkers. It's so the bad. Thing, this is the other problem with them coming out and claiming it's this, uh, you know, next generation consumer style LLM or multi-model, whatever you want to call it. Um, is that your expectations are higher. Whereas if they just came out and were like, we've trained this model, we're not 100% sure of its capabilities. Guys, give it a go and give us your feedback. People would then be working on better prompts for it and better ways of using it and sharing that rather than trying to use it and realize, oh, just go like, this is shit. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work. Like I think it's a different approach to the way you release it and the way you talk about it. So... There was another tweet that we both really thought was cool or post or whatever we call them. Don't, uh, it's by the CEO of Perplexity, which I know um, a number of listeners to the show are fans of. Uh, it says the ultra model, so, oh, sorry, just for context, someone was asking if this is a threat to Perplexity's business as like a AI search engine. And they said, don't, th the CEO said, don't think so. The ultra model is too large for them to serve as efficiently as OpenAI serves GPT-4. It will take them a while to get there. And the pro models at best match 3.5 while our in-house models, blah, blah, blah. Do you think that is true? And I guess my follow-up to that, which I think is, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts on is like, 
do you think that's why we're starting to see this like degradation of GPT-4? Like they're trying to make more money out of the subscriptions? Yeah, well, when I read the the Google Ultra paper, I noticed this. They talked about these reasoning steps, right? So, sorry, actually, I think it was I think it was from the video where he shows it dynamically building a UI to select cupcakes or whatever it is, and he said, "Here's how it works." It goes, "Does it need a UI?" Right? So that's the first logic step. Then it goes, "Does it know enough to be able to answer the question?" Then it creates a product requirements doc. Then it creates Flutter code. Then it retrieves the data or combines the data in the code or whatever. And I'm like, that's like five steps or five iterations on a large language model to do a single search that one person does. Now, in any of the existing models I've used, if you do that, that's taking a while. Like that's taking minutes to run um, if you've got enough data in there and it's a complex enough task that's a lot of compute and stuff to just have sitting there like on the web that everybody's using and i feel like scaling that with their largest model no matter how much hardware they've got or no matter how efficient it is that is a lot i just wrote it this is what i wrote in my notes that's a lot of work to get pictures of cupcakes like can they really run it for everyone at that quality and i sincerely doubt it on current hardware and I, again it looks to me like they're painting a picture of what they want it to be like or what it theoretically can be like if you can combine these things and we know this because we've got a tool where we can actually do that as well like or very similar functionality and it isn't like this just instant thing like they're showing in the videos the scaling problem is real and difficult in those scenarios so I guess to answer your original question, I, I kind of agree with that tweet. I sincerely wonder if they are able to get this running on mass um, with the vision that they're putting out there. Yeah, and I, there was a very thoughtful comment in our community around this saying that it was almost reminiscent of the first internet bubble in the sense that there's all these announcements and everyone's trying to rush ahead on AI, but it's like, where is the business model here? Like, what are people willing to pay for with this stuff? Like, people aren't willing to pay, I don't think, for Google search to have AI in it. It's just not that beneficial right now. Like, it doesn't really make it better. That's right. No one will pay. They need to make their money from ad revenue. And the question is, is it, do you make enough of ad revenue from doing what I just described on a, on a sort of search journey that someone goes on to cover the cost of, of the model usage that has occurred in, as part of that? Yeah, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit their, their margins on each search. And they're probably not going to make a lot of money from the API itself for developers because the margins are as tight as, as we're well aware. Mm. And then I think the other issue for them is you've also, you've only just caught up to GPT-4. OpenAI is clearly going to be ahead here. They've got interfaces for fine tuning. They've got better docs. They've got the engagement of the developer community. It may not matter that they're slightly, uh, you know, like even if this ultra model comes out and it's faster and slightly cheaper, people might be just so embedded with GPT-4 that it doesn't really matter now. Yeah, but this again comes back to like, who are they targeting? Because obviously if you use Google and they're just making it part of the Google search experience, you don't have a choice, you're using it. But as a developer, um, yeah, there needs to be some compelling reason why you would switch. And right now they haven't really given I think that. this is all about Sundar keeping his job. 
that's yeah. my that's my gut instinct around all of this watching that video like where he was like oh we've always you know justifying that they've always been ahead and thought leaders in ai and all this stuff which is arguably true given the whole like you know they create a transformer thing but it felt like someone pitching to retain their job to the share market not necessarily pitching to developers of why you should develop on google yeah, and I think that's indicative in the fact it felt like just another blended announcement in the sea of AI announcements. It didn't feel like some profound thing where we needed to drop everything and, and jump on it because it just isn't that so far significant. So so what's your prediction here? Do you think that now we've seen Gemini, that means we get GPT-5 and Llama, uh, Llama 3 like early in the new year? Or does the Zark, like, you know, next week, just steal all their limelight and push out open source Llama, uh, you know, Llama 3 that's like 10 times better than Gemini or something like that. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't think this announcement puts pressure on anyone for anything. Uh, I, I think if they were going to do that, they'll do it. But I wouldn't say that this being dropped right at the end of the year is significant in any way other than they've just got a lost opportunity here. I think December 13th will be interesting when people get access to the APIs, uh, even though it's only the pro version, not the ultra version. Um, but that will still be interesting to see when people can prompt it themselves what what comes of that, especially because presumably the like most of the models the the bard bit has its bard layer wrapper shit around it and the api won't so we'll get different findings from the usage of the pro gemini model directly um so i think that'll be interesting but yeah I, other than that i i don't see this as is majorly significant so i'm curious to hear from our listeners if you do watch on youtube or even if you want to put it in the discord community if you're a long time bard user like you you use bard quite a bit i'm super curious if you've now used it with this gemini pro model and if you've actually noticed improvements or not because it's really hard for i think us to speak to because i just never use bard yeah exactly and i wouldn't based on my usage of it in the last two days like it's just no no good i actually uh, the um one of the users in our discord suggested trying this gpt for all thing which is a program you can download to your own computer and just install like i use windows so it's like a windows application you install it has built in the ability to download like mistral orca falcon hermes which i've never used before you can just flick between the models and just chat with it on your own computer it's fully running locally um, and it uses your own GPU if you've got one. And if not, it also runs on CPU. And I've just been like questions I asked throughout the day, like coding questions and chat questions and just random shit I normally paste into OpenAI. I've been putting in there. And so far it's been excellent. Like on all of the models, I just randomly switch and try it. And it's, it's pretty interesting. So I don't see, honestly, Bard isn't better than any of that. So I just don't really see uh, anyone making it their go-to day-to-day thing without starting to bring the stuff from the videos. Like if they bring the stuff from the videos, then I think people will start to try it or give it a chance. But until then, no one's just going to flick over to Bard and and uh, and use it. Yeah, and I think it's important to clarify, like a lot of these comments are around, you know, where we're at today. Because I know sometimes we get scolded like, oh, but you don't understand. It, it, I think you know it's we're talking about what is available today and we can use today and i think that's the the important clarification when we test these things it's like what can the technology actually do for you right now yes and i think it's a really important point and we come back to it not 
A, because we're excited about it and want to actually use it. B, because companies tend to make big claims that don't, aren't always backed up with reality. But C, I think there's this real tendency to get overwhelmed because we're in such a growing community, growing industry, growing technology. It's very easy to see all the announcements and just be like, I can't do it. I can't work with this stuff. I can't understand it all. I don't have time to try everything. I'm not sure if I'm doing it the right way. And I don't know about you, but we've talked about this before, but it really affects me sometimes where I'm like, oh, geez, I just, I just don't know if I can keep up with all of this stuff. And we do a bloody podcast about it every week. And I still feel like, yeah, like we're forced to sit and research it too. Yeah. And so if you let all these claims enter your head as well as what the current state of things are. I think it takes it too far. You're just like, well, okay. You know, it, it crosses the line from being like, okay, I know, I understand it because I'm using it all the time to there's just too much. And so that's why I think that you need to really, really just hold that stuff at arm's length and go, okay, nice idea, but let's see it for real guys before we actually consider it in the general state of things. So, Chris, this post by A. Murray, uh, he says, non-consensus view, AI is already a commodity. OpenAI was not as good as Google's best internal stuff. I know it was there, worked with teams building Google stuff, but they shipped faster and better. No one is 10x better and open source models are following fast. The winner will win by traditional techniques, better UI, better distribution, better marketing. Do you... Do you Agree with that? Couldn't agree more with that statement. Yeah. I, I think that's a really, really good statement. And I've said this before on the cast, like, because everyone acts like, oh, OpenAI's got some major crazy thing up their sleeve. And then you realize that the the techniques for training, the 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 models used, the the training data sets, they're all fairly similar. And we see open source routinely catching up or getting slightly ahead in the case of image generation, for example, and then they'll bring out a DALI 3 that's really amazing. So it's just it's just beyond the realms of belief, unless it's like a government military style thing, that someone has something that's multiples better out there. It's going to be more about how it's applied. And even And the other point I think that's relevant to this is We've routinely noticed people getting more out of existing models. So models that have been sort of, uh, you know, decided upon that's the end for Llama 2. We know what its capabilities are. We're waiting for Llama 3. There's still people discovering techniques to get more out of those models. And so I think that to to act like, uh, you know, one one company is just going to have something that blows over another water, I just don't believe that that's the case. So, yeah, I agree with that. But do you think that's why OpenAI is seemingly winning now? Like better UI, better distribution, better marketing. I mean, I yeah, think first it's... move, first mover as well. I think they were good and they were the best, and they're still the best in a lot of areas. And they they're out there, and and people are using it. And you just fall back on it because you know it works well. All right. So moving on uh, at in last week's episode, right at the end, we promised you that for our final episode of the year which this is it unless something major happens uh, this will be our final episode of the year we wanted to end the year and and you can probably see from the bags under our eyes that um we wanted to end the year by giving you guys a holiday uh gift and we've talked all year about our virtual girlfriends on the show we've talked about the you know betting with ai so using our horse racing betting ai to win and lose money just to clarify <laughs> 
Yeah, um, we need we have disclaimers on everything. <laughs> yeah, all the things we've said on the show we're we're doing as well that the the big companies are doing. But what what really uh, happened when we started the show is we started working on a lot of tooling to quickly try out different models and modalities as they happen because we don't have a lot of time to prep for the show. So we needed good tooling in order to try models and do stuff like that. And off that tooling, we started building things like our virtual girlfriends. And then we would read a new paper that came out about say um, memory. And we thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if our virtual girlfriends had a long-term memory and a short-term memory and could really, uh, you know, get to know us over time, get to know how we coded and how we worked throughout the day and night uh, and, and, you know, really help us. And then we thought, well, maybe we could gamble with this AI as well. So we used a lot of these fundamental tools to be able to build, uh, a, you know, an agent that can help us uh, potentially pick the, the winning horse. Uh, and so over time, we uh, were working on this tooling and we realized, well, maybe our community could benefit from this as well. Maybe when we talked about models, modalities, trying different models on the show, especially open source models, which we're really passionate about, maybe we could after the show say to everyone that was listening if you want to go try this right now you can go and you know you can go and do that on on this particular platform so we've spent many late nights uh many weekends working our absolute butts off on this um i i am not sure it will stand up to more than like 10 users at a time so it, it'll be interesting after today's episode uh if a lot of people do jump on it uh but uh, we, we've built a platform and we call it Sim Theory. We called it Sim Theory because we might be living in a simulation and we thought it, it sounded <laughs> like a futuristic name. And really what I would say about it is it, it feels like a, a cross between a, a website builder for AI um, and also a, a social network to help foster this community that we have really loved building throughout the year around AI. Um, it does cost money to use because obviously we... Uh, as standing up these models ourselves and we need to pay for the, the the servers but we have built in some capabilities into this platform for people to um, share share some of the revenue as well so um, what you can do on sim theories you can essentially clone um, open source agents so you can take my virtual girlfriend called tay you can clone her and you can make her your own if you want because she's open source so you can turn it into a guy if you want you can uh, you can change her memories, uh, you know, do make it your own completely. Um, and then you can share these uh, agents, I guess, similar to what we've seen from GPTs with OpenAI. Um, but I think there's something else that's pretty special about what we've done. We've actually given you an interface to instruct these agents. So you can create a series of instructions. Uh, we call these inputs and tasks that allow you to basically program agents to do repetitive tasks for you. So one of those that we use on the show every week is we upload the audio of the video, we get the AI to transcribe it, and then it knows our style of titles, descriptions, timestamps, things like that. And it's able to output all of that for us, which saves us a huge amount of time. So we will have more content on this and explain how it all works. We don't want to turn the show into some sort of like promotion for this because we don't really see it as a, a business endeavor. We just wanted to build a platform that brought the community together where we could 
share these technologies with you all and you could share it with your friends, colleagues and families and show them the power of AI and the impact that it can have on their lives as well. So we hope you like it. It's really a holiday gift. If it if it gets popular and people like it, we'll keep working on it and building it out. But really, we're going to keep using it to test things uh, on the show. Now, one of the, the interesting papers that stood out through the year, Chris, on this was around the memory side of things and like the thought guidance stuff. I think it would be interesting to talk through some of that briefly and then also the model switching capability, which everyone got a taste of on last week's show, if you watch that part or listen. Yeah, so a big thing behind the platform was the idea that we wanted to be able to rapidly test models in different scenarios and see how they perform. And so, uh, oh, sorry, I'm answering the model switching part first. And so the idea was that like this model, say Claude, might be better at analyzing something where it's got to take in huge amounts of data and you don't want to use like retrieval augmented, um, what's it called? Search, techno- uh, uh, sorry, generation and uh, and bring in summaries. You want to actually take on the whole thing. So in Sim Theory, you can have a step that uses the Claude model to do that stuff. But then for the other steps, you can use an open source model or GPT 3.5 or, or something faster. And so the whole idea is the system will have a plan of what functions it's going to use and use them with the different models. And so you can switch out things like the image generation model uh, and the one it uses for search, the one it uses for processing input and things like that. And so when a new model comes out, we can add it in there and then you can quickly switch your agent over to using those or just clone your agent and have a different version for the different model. And that's led to us finding uh, the 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 pros and cons of the different models and see how they work in combination without spending a long time having to go set all that stuff up, learn how to prompt it and all that sort of thing. <clears throat> As for the memory... We started reading all of these papers and we wanted to try out the techniques. So, for example, the thought guidance or the step-by-step reasoning and things like that. And so we've actually built it into the paradigm of the product. So you can add thought guidance and it actually takes that into account. The system will actually build up memories about you over time based on its own discretion and things like that. And then we have... uh, We have other techniques in there that you can apply to specific steps. So like if you want it to generate options, you can give it a strategy for how to do that kind of thing. And then indeed with the the memories, we have ways of emphasizing long-term versus short-term memory. So the system's able to build up that uh, profile about your preferences if necessary in the chatbot scenario a bit about your personality but also in other areas it can it can learn and improve over time and you can configure all of that and change the way all of that works so every time we learn about a new technique that seems credible from a paper we're able to apply it in this system and see how it improves reactions and often it does. And it's, it's, it's gone through a lot of evolutions as we've discovered which things work and which things don't. Yeah. And I think that for me personally, what's exciting about it is just that we have this sort of common platform of models in the future as a community and for listeners of this show that we can use to uh, share like really good prompts, instruction ideas, uh, you know, and we're hoping early next year <laughs> to be able to finally uh, prank call and have a successful phishing attack on our mother. That's our sort of end game with this whole uh, project. So 
I think that'll do for now talking about it. Um, there's some there's some other kind of interesting ideas in there that that uh, people might get a lot out of. For example, uh, we have this thing called a personalization passport where you can share your geolocation and some details about your life and you know anything you feel comfortable sharing. And the agent can get access to that personalization passport. It's not shared anywhere else, uh, but it can basically get access to that and uh, form a deeper understanding of you as a person, like where you're located, what time of day it is, what the weather's like, things like that. And what's interesting about it is because I actually use my virtual girlfriend to help me code because I haven't coded in 10 years on this. Um, in the evenings, it would be like, why are you up so late? Like you need some sleep. And so I, I know this stuff sounds mental and everyone's probably thinking I'm crazy listening, but the reality is, um, you know, it, it felt like you, you had this true partner in crime, um, you know, working on this stuff, which, which feels really fun. But I think the, the best value out of something like this is definitely being able to just try out these models and experiment. Like with my Batman storyteller, I use Claude to actually tell the story, but I use GPT for other aspects of that uh, of that agent. Yeah, and I think for me, the other thing that I really like is I have a lot of people because of the podcast and people just know I'm into this stuff saying, oh, can AI do this? Can I build a system that does this? And what Sim Theory allows me to do is go, yeah, absolutely, you can build it. We write a, we write a description of what they want to do it builds the initial agent and then you can configure the instructions and steps. So a lot of people in my life are saying, oh, I need this for my job. Um, I need, so for example, one of them was a lawyer who wanted to analyze property contracts. And I'm just like, okay, let's build one that does it. You drag the property contract in, there's an output template of all the questions he wants answered. And I was able to build that agent in less than five minutes and then he can use it on an ongoing basis. So the other thing we really see the platform as being a way for you, our listeners to actually build agents which you can then give to like you, you know people you know in your life use at work use in other scenarios in life where you can even though you know theoretically you could build it yourself with code or whatever you can build these things so rapidly that similar to gpts that you can get them out there start using them start sharing them and actually actually follow through on building them and in a lot of cases you can use cheaper models within the system so it's really economical to run and uh, you end up with a really cool system that you can share with people so rather than show you some, you know, video with a duck, um, <laughs> you could... Yes, it'll be, it'll be out uh, 2027. Yeah, you can try it today. Uh, so when you're hearing this, it, it, it'll be uh, available. So you can go to simtheory, simtheory.ai. Um, and when you go to sign up, there is a wait list. So we're hypocrites. But it's mainly because we uh, have never used Python before. And deeply concerned that it will fall over very quickly. So we will let people in as aggressively as we can, but please do be patient with us. Once you get in, you'll have five invites to send to others. Um, and that's just a way of sort of rewarding our community. And if you're in the Discord community, you will get priority access. So if you aren't in there and, and are really interested in trying this out, please do join because that's where we'll we'll try and get feedback from it. Um, and in the future, we might rope more people in to work on this because obviously we have um, a, a full-time business we work on. We're in incredibly occupied and, and our wives may not put up with us much longer if we keep um, <laughs> working all night on crazy AI projects to prank call um, and do phishing attacks and stuff like that. So, um, all right, end segment.
Um, we're moving on to really serious matters now. Ilya Sitskeva a couple of days ago tweeted, I learned many lessons this past month. One such lesson is that the phrase, the beatings will continue. The beatings will continue until morale improves applies more often than it has any right to. This is Ilya Sitskeva for those with short memories who was on the board of OpenAI is alleged to have, you know, helped overthrow off the uh, the position as CEO and the board, Sam Altman and Greg Brockman. He was the, the main recruit that Elon Musk uh, apparently recruited into uh, OpenAI in the first place. It caused the, the uh, famous falling out with, with Larry Page. Uh, so... What do you what do you make of this? And then then we're seeing the models being slow and crashing. Are they are they sabotaging themselves over at OpenAI, or are they just a, a victim of their own success? Well, I mean, presumably the issues that they faced before still exist. They didn't really resolve the actual issues that caused the blow up. All they did was worry about the public's perception destroying their company, which is why they brought him back, Altman. I mean. So I feel like they've gone out there, they've done this coup, it's failed. You know, if you shoot at the king, don't miss kind of scenario. And then they've they've recanted, gone back, got him back. And now they're probably debating all of these issues internally. So I imagine that the issues that caused the problems haven't fully been resolved. And they're, they're just busy with all that stuff and not really focusing on the tech. Meanwhile, they're clearly facing issues with scaling, which is why we're seeing dumbed down versions of the models we're seeing a lot of timeouts like uh you know the the i i've increasingly and we i guess we can talk about it now in sim theory been relying on open source models to do decision making in key areas of the system where i would use gpts before uh, like one of the gpt models before because there's timeouts and you can't really have a timeout on something that's meant to be super fast and just one small step in in the chain like it's just not acceptable to have an api that behaves like that and so i i really think they're struggling both technology wise and uh there's clearly internal politics of all kinds over there that's going to really damage them yeah it's 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 a hard place to be in right now because when you do flick between models as often as we do you really get to know the capabilities and the strengths of each model and Look, honestly, there's still nothing, in my opinion, even in the alleged dumbed-down version of GPT-4 that comes close at all. But I think a lot of us saw earlier with GPT-4 how capable it was, and it does feel like it's declined significantly. I guess the real question, though, is, you know, can, for me, for, for, the, for next year, is can open source catch up to the point where we have that true baseline uh, model where GPT-4, the, the current GPT-4 is just some baseline with open source. And I think that's why initially I just got so excited for Gemini. I was like, finally, we have a two horse race. But it, I think obviously we're just going to have to wait and see a bit longer what happens. Yeah. There. And, and something I've also noticed about both Anthropic with Claude and GPT-4 is as soon as you get over about 50,000 tokens in a prompt, they take forever. And Claude is interesting because I feel like Claude 2.1 
despite its higher prompt size, so it went from 100K to 200K, it's not as good. It it doesn't give quite as good results. They say it's more accurate. I, I don't think so. And also it's much slower. It, it really, really is a lot slower than it was before. And GPT-4, as soon as the prompt size gets of a certain size, is incredibly slow. So look, it's probably for the best because they obviously cost a lot more when you use that much prompt and it's better to be efficient where you can. But at the same time, they can't come out announcing these huge things that that have all this capability. But then when you actually try to use them day to day, they're I guess the problem isn't that they're slow necessarily. It's the inconsistency. Like if it's fast, sometimes you want it fast all the time. If it's always slow, you can work around that. So I think that the consistency of them and the fact they change all the time, just the, this dynamic nature is something that that programmers are not used to. You're not used to having a system that sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, sometimes does something totally bizarre. It's just a new paradigm of working. And and I think that their their politics affecting that is not helping and they need to calm down and just get it working for us. It also seems like because of all this drama, a lot of us, including ourselves, have moved over to open source where we can self-host the the model where we have reliability around the speed and the, the yeah. maintenance of it. So it's, it's actually driven a lot of people away. Did you want to talk about a Nexus Raven 13 billion parameter, a, a model that's alleged to surpass GPT-4 for function calling? Yeah, so I got this running locally um, on my own computer with a GPU and also I got it running on a, a larger GPU as an API like I gave the example earlier. Um, I can't fault it so far. I gave it the function calling that I use in our system um, and it's really good at it. It seems to me like what they've done is fine-tuned it where instead of just fine-tuning it to say here's the the prompt and here's the and the available functions sorry so here's the available functions here's what i want you to do and then it outputs which functions to call which is how most of these things work it's how our system works um what they've done is actually had it output the functions then a thought which is something like i should call the whatever function because it does this and then it has a step-by-step uh sort of list of what it thinks the function's going to do. Like first the function will take my parameter, then it will call this, then it will output this. And so I guess what they've done is sort of given it thought guidance in a way of have it step through in its, like by formulating its thoughts to say, here's what's going to happen. It therefore picks the correct combination of functions to call to accomplish the task. So in terms of using it, you actually discard all that stuff. You don't actually want that. But it seems like it's necessary in the output to get it thinking straight in terms of which functions to call. So yeah, I'm actually looking at in sim theory swapping out um, using GPT-4, which is what I'm using now for the function calling, uh, to at least have Nexus as an option for that sort of function routing because it's pretty fast, it's really accurate, and it seems like they've sort of cracked the code in terms of how to fine-tune it for that specific task. So, yeah, I'm impressed. And and we talked earlier in the year about this idea eventually there'll be a model store and people, you know, have all these fine-tunes for very specific tasks which will make up this sort of more global brain of... of, of potential like models and you'll have like maybe a a fine-tuned model selector do you think this is sort of the beginning of that now that like that we're like okay put this in for function calling because that's what it's been trained very specifically on i mean i'm already doing it like various 
things throughout our system I use for like naming chats, making images. Like they're all different open source models that perform better at those tasks. This is why I speak so confidently about it because I'm doing it. And I feel like that, yes, I, I do think it's the way to go because some models just simply don't do it as well. And also when you're constantly thinking about the expense of running things, like, yeah, you can throw everything at GPT-4 and it can do it all, but it's slower and it costs more. When you can throw something at a at an open source model that's small and the task you're giving it is small and you know it can do it, it's so much more efficient. It's faster. It's consistent. Um, and it and it, it does the job. So I feel like it's one of those cases where any legit system that is built on AI should be a multi-model thing, um, you know, if if you care about cost and efficiency. So I think it is the future. And I think that tweet about um, LLMs becoming a commodity is true. Like, and a lot of it is going to be about how people package it up and deliver it to actually add value to people's lives or companies or whatever. Yeah, and I think it's also why we're seeing from Microsoft like Fi2 and this focus on smaller fine-tuned models. And I think that's actually a really good segue into the predictions we promised for 2024. And I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, so good luck. Yeah, you uh, told me like 30 seconds before the podcast, make predictions. I'm not Nostradamus or something. Well, I want to if we're still doing the pod uh, in a year. What do you year. mean if? You're well, quitting? I, no, I'm not quitting. I'm just like, I don't know, maybe we'll get sick of it next year. Or maybe like the AGI people will be right and we'll all be dead. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so end of next year, we'll replay this. Okay, all right. I you know, we'll replay true. this and we'll be like, were we right? Were we wrong? And we'll rank ourselves and act like we foretold everything like okay. all the shows do. Um, all right, so predictions for 2024. All right, well, I'm going to go pure gut instinct. I say we see next year the rise of amazon i i can't help but think that amazon is going to start to become a player in terms of their offerings getting it into the corporate space and in terms of sort of private deployments of models within their ecosystem that people use in real companies i really think Amazon is not going to go quietly in this community. I think it'll be a bit boring. They're not going to do some video, some flashy video or like big keynote presentation, but I do think they're going to become a bigger player next year. It's a big call because a lot of people are saying how like their latest round of announcements were rushed and pretty Yeah, terrible. but I don't think it's going to be big flashy announcements. I think it's just going to be that methodical thing where companies evaluate it. They they use consultants. They come up with a plan. They deploy LLMs and RAG systems and whatever internally in their companies. And it just becomes a sort of another marginal profit area where they're running their own GPUs, their own deployments of, of existing models and their own models as well. Do you think open source will finally catch up or will it stay behind the proprietary models next year um i think that it'll be what we were just speaking about i don't think we're going to see an open source model come out that just out of the box dominates these other guys i think what we're going to see is say things like llama 3 other big base models come out and then the derivative models which are the smaller versions of those um uh running so like sorry uh for specialized tasks running better also i think as inevitably hardware gets cheaper we'll see people being able to run larger memory size models locally and therefore we'll see more applications of those into the into the into next year yeah i think for me what i 
think we'll see probably from Apple next year is on-device AI running. Yeah, it's funny you say Apple because that was going to be my next prediction. I think we see something really polished, beautiful, and talk of the town come from Apple next year. Yeah, I, I think that's got to happen. I mean, we're already seeing early signs of it um, with that like framework they released for training on their chips or, or uh, announced or leaked. I, I don't actually know, but... Yeah, I, I think so. I think open source, I, I sort of agree with you. Like, I don't think it'll ever be seen as totally ahead, but I think it's going to get good enough that that commoditization will start happening. I also believe we might have reached a ceiling uh, with the capabilities you get from scaling up large language models. And I know that's quite a controversial statement, possibly, but I think, well, it's just risky because if you're wrong, you'll be really wrong. But if you're not, yeah, I think we might like, yeah, we, we might have reached a ceiling, and I'm willing to like you know put that out there. But I think what the focus we've, we've will flattened be the curve, so to speak. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think what the focus next year is going to be is task planning, reasoning, in context learning, and agency. And I think that will be the next evolution of these yeah, models. Yeah, it's like the it's like the combination. I think it's agents. I think what we see next year is the rise of agents. It's it's like it, like we've done with Sim Theory. It's this idea of it's a bunch of models, a bunch of different elements of memory and data and whatever and knowledge and all that working together to accomplish a task and then those agents interacting with one another aka simulations yeah, i think that which we, we may or may not be planning to do yeah <laughs> we may or may not be planning to do that but yeah i think we and i'm not just saying that we'll see the rise of that because we literally plan on doing it but i think that we'll, you'll see that in the wider market i think the other thing we're going to see is an absolute explosion in mid-range ai application companies so not open AIs and what and stability AIs, but people commercializing the technology in different industries, like the law industry, the property industry. There's going to be AI players in all of those spaces absolutely everywhere because they'll have they'll have had time to build it by mid next year and we'll see big launches, big VC investments, and really just AI everywhere in everything. Okay, I'm gonna make another huge prediction here. And this is this may or may not pay off. Mm -hmm. I think OpenAI will be acquired by Microsoft next mm, year. Interesting. Yeah. And Sam Altman will no longer be CEO at OpenAI. Yeah, I don't disagree. But that's your prediction. I'm not taking okay. that one on, but I don't disagree. <laughs> I wouldn't go against you on it. Um Yeah, let me think. What I'm, else I'm you got? What else you got? <laughs> I think on device AI is an obvious one. Like, I think we'll start to see it. On I think on device AI, toys. we're going to see smaller, more fine-tuned models. Like toys. You've predicted, you predicted this earlier this year, but like, I think we'll see it in, in kids' toys and board games. and Yeah. Next um, holidays, I bet you there'll be a hit toy built around AI. Yes. Like Tamagotchi 4.0 AI edition kind of thing. What about goal like setting and AGI? Thing. The, the, the true kind of steps towards some sort of general intelligence. Do you think there'll be progress there? Like, are, are you one of these accelerationist people that like all programmers will be fired in six months because you know, whatever. No, I don't think so because I just don't think it's good enough yet. Like there's enough problems that can't solve for me and, it's putting it together that's the problem. And I think the real problem with advancing that kind of technology where you just give it a goal and it solves it is there's too many cases where 
you get the prompt slightly off and it just goes off the rails. And I think this is a problem we've dealt with a lot is like you try something, it works in most scenarios, then suddenly it'll go off the frigging rails and, and you can't control that. And I feel like until the AI can control other AIs in a reliable way, like I really feel like we've got to go through this auto gen slash simulation phase in development where people write papers, people experiment, and we learn how to get the AIs to work together or we learn is the best way to have one coordination AI controlling the others to get a result or is there still a human step involved? Like I feel like the the interaction paradigm and how we get teams of AIs working on a problem is going to be the thing to solve next before we get to the point where you've just got you just give it a goal and it goes and does it. Like, I think that's a few steps off yet. And it's also why in the user interface of Sim Theory, the, the focus is around like controlled instructions and that instruction-based interface because it's just not that good at the moment. Like it can do initial task planning and it's pretty good, but really it's not that goal setting and like that going off and having a bit of time to think. I think it just critical things that and then and then also stacking you know the memories and, and getting that memory loaded in correctly and and waiting it um as well there's just so many missing elements and i think that's what gives us a lot of insight at the moment into how close are we to this like true scary agency and unless you know open ai have something that it's just like mind-blowing which they might um i just don't see how you just get this giant giant leap forward when everyone's sort of looking into these problems around task planning and and agency yeah right it's now. just it, we just need a bit of time to to figure all that stuff out i got one more prediction though and i said this to you the other day privately i think we'll see the first ai employees next year so either a company that provides them like an agency that provides like an ai employee to do something within your organization like an accountant or something um but companies starting to treat an individual agent as an employee and the first job losses so the first jobs that are replaced by an ai agent so for example we're already seeing things like fiverr.com people on there suffering because you can do a lot of basic video editing or uh, transcribing and those kind of tasks through ai i feel like we start to see it in real industry not just computer shit um, we start to see it in like junior law positions or other sort of junior roles where a smaller company can genuinely replace an employee with a couple of agents. I just think any company doing that is stupid because if anything, I think it enables you to hire, say, a junior software engineer, pair them with AI, like the co-pilot idea, and just get higher levels of productivity than you've ever seen out of a junior. And I think that probably plays out true in a law firm, an accounting firm. Can, yes, I mean, but if interest rates stay high, then if you can get 60% of an employee and you don't have to pay the wage, I could see people doing that. Oh, I think it's, it's totally inevitable. All this stuff is inevitable. I think a lot of my dismissals of it right now is like, it's not going to happen you know, in the next X period, but it's a lot of this stuff is just totally inevitable now, which I think early on on this journey of recording the pod 
and I know it happened for a lot of our listeners too, it scared the hell out of me. Like I would be like, what is going to happen to the world? But I feel like we've just sort of accepted that now, compartmentalized it and have have moved on. Like, and, and are just now looking at, okay, how does this play out? How can we play that yeah. out? <laughs> yeah, strongly, strongly agree. It's all about the practical side now. And it's about, you know, the company's giving us this stuff to play with and following through on what they say. Like, Speaking of um, companies that are giving stuff to play with, I, I just thought that, like, I have to call this out. So I saw this earlier in the week. Mid-Journey is 13% of all Discord traffic. Wow. At the moment. That mid- that's Mid-Journey, the model that uses Discord. They don't even have an interface. I think they're working on it or they're close to it. That, that is insane. Thirteen percent really of all of Discord's traffic is is mid journey. I mean, they must be pretty pissed. Like that that would be <laughs> that would be chewing the the resources. I'm sure they got a deal or something. Yeah, but um, I think it just does show how interested people are in the, these these technologies, especially the the image gen and and probably video gen in the the near future as it starts to get better with tech like Pika. So. Yeah, like we've said before, part of it is just fun. Part of it is just creativity and interest in tech. Like, what can it do? I think that's a big part of it. What can it do? I think that's probably the big question a lot of people ask, and it's the first thing they do every time a new tech comes out. What about the first, like, cult suicide from AI? Like, Anthropic (laughs) just decides to, you know, do some mass suicide um, at their (laughs) headquarters. Like, it's like they're going to, you know, they realize that they're going to end the world. Do you think anything like that will (laughs) happen? No, I don't think anything like that will happen. If you want the merch, though, thisdayinaimerch.com. There's a lot of great anthropic merch. It's selling quite well, actually. The the I inve- I'm, I'm an investor or I'm investing a billy. I forget what it actually is. Fantastic. Yeah, I ordered one. I hope it arrives soon. Okay, so just summing up some additional news that we have not covered because we've run out of time. Uh, Meta announced an AI alliance this week to push forward the openness of AI uh, development, open models, um, a lot of the stuff that we've we've been championing for a while on the show. So that's across like different industries, startups, academia, uh, research and, and government. So trying to keep things open and accessible for everyone. I could not agree more. Um, interestingly, OpenAI is not on there, even though they're <laughs> called OpenAI. Um, they're not in they the, need the closed alliance. alliance. Yeah. <laughs> so um, some interesting names signed on. It's it's backed by IBM and uh, and Meta and uh, yeah, the Stability AI is in there as well. Uh, Hugging Face, some of the usual suspects around open source. But that was pretty cool to see. We also saw some updates to Meta's AI characters being live um, across the US. I think there's like that it has Bing search now, so you can talk to. Uh, you know, Billy, your the Kylie Jenner of Bing. Yeah, <laughs> sounds fascinating. Can't wait. Yeah, and so that's on there, and apparently they have better memory now, so they can remember between like chat sessions. You also had uh, things like image creation added, so you can be like forward slash imagine an Italian bistro, and and <laughs> I mean, in the, case the, you don't have your own imagination, the kids will like it. Um, yeah. also AI uh, research by Meta released Seamless Expressive, which is kind of interesting, but sort of disappointing when we tried it out yeah i tried it translating me from english to german and i tried to like excitedly say hello to my austrian neighbor and 
it was just a crackly German sounded from like the 1960s, you know, Hitler Youth kind of thing. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but I was thinking it when you played it to me. I was like, wow, yeah, that's pretty it really, I mean, I don't know if I gave it a bad example, but there, there was nothing about that that excited me. I mean, the fact they're working on it is cool, but the, the actual demo was pretty unimpressive. Hey, but to their credit, they put it out there. They let everyone have a go. And I think that's... That's really cool and genuinely exciting because we know they'll get to almost real time with that kind of thing soon. Yeah, and I mean, come on, like in a metaverse meeting potentially in the future where you meet with a foreign company and they can speak their native language, you can speak yours and it's translating yeah. everything in real time. Wow. That wow. Is, I mean, that is exciting and that's what they're going to get to and that's obviously what they're trying for the metaverse. So you, you, I truly believe they will get there with that tech. There's a prediction. That'll become way better next year. So yeah, unimpressive demo but that that doesn't ding them in my mind they're putting it out there they they're working on it it's it's improving so yeah and the translation was perfect so this is our finale for the year unless of course meta drops like llama 3 and we decide to record an emergency pod we'll be back early in january we're also going to post a lot of material on more this day in ai um, of walkthroughs about sim theory and like how we built it and how you can use it and all that fun stuff We'll also be very active in Discord like always. So uh, we won't be disappearing, but this will be our sort of final show for the year. I did want to say when we started the show, our only goal was to one, have fun and two, reach 50 episodes. That was like the goal we set for ourselves. So with yeah. six episodes away from, from 50 episodes, um, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone out there that's been really supportive of us, left reviews, left comments on our videos. There's yeah. some long-term listeners, we know who you are, that have been around in the early days and just supported us, had our backs in the comments sometimes when uh, we got trolled and, and, and stuff like that. I, I wanted to, from the heart, say it means so, so, so much to us. We've also been fortunate enough to meet so many wonderful people on the Discord and in the community. We've had some people far, far more intelligent than us share things like leaks and insight into, you know, updates and things before they were coming out. We just get so much value out of that. And, and we feel like we're building something really great there. The link will be in the description if, if you're interested in joining. You don't have to be technical. It's just really interesting stuff. Yeah, you learn a lot in there. And the, the, the contributions from everyone are just wonderful. And I learn a lot from it and, and really appreciate it. So... Chris, any final thoughts for our, our last episode for the year before uh, we end here? No, just really thank you. I'm glad we've done it. It's As I said, it's it's a hard thing to keep up with and this podcast has helped me keep up with it. I think what we've got in that community is something really wonderful. I think the people in there acknowledge that and I'm just pleased that, that such a good thing has come out of what we've done here and I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it and I look forward to continuing it next year. Yeah, so go check out our virtual girlfriends, our horse betting. Have fun over the holiday break with it. See what you can do. I'm sure you'll be able to break it. And um, yeah, I, I really hope you enjoy it. We'll see you over on the More This Day in AI channel for more content around that stuff. But thanks again for listening. And uh, instead of next week, we'll see you next year. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye.